entrepreneur now has become this sort of branded thing and people want to become an entrepreneur. And I think that's actually a bad thing. You shouldn't want to become an entrepreneur. You should want to do something that changes the world. You should want to do something that's going to enhance people's lives. You should, you should want to do something that's going to be for a reason. And an entrepreneur is not the reason. Welcome to Babson Built, where we interview Babson founders and entrepreneurs, people who have tried, failed, and tried again. They're the change makers, the disruptors, the hustlers, and the builders. These are their stories. This week on Babson Built, we had a chance to sit down with Jamie Siminoff, a self-made entrepreneur who created the world's first Wi-Fi doorbell called Doorbot. After turning down the only offer he received on Shark Tank from Kevin O'Leary, Siminoff persisted with this invention and transformed the Doorbot into a company called Ring, which provides its customers with a variety of security solutions, establishing itself as a security powerhouse. In 2018, Ring was purchased by Amazon for a staggering $1 billion, the company's second largest acquisition. Prior to this, Siminoff also successfully started and sold two other companies, PhoneTag and Unsubscribe.com. Hi, I'm Vaidehi Tandekar, and today I'm here with Jamie Siminoff, a founder of Ring, Babson alum, and more importantly, someone who likes to call himself a chief inventor. But we'll get right back to that. Jamie, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure having you. Thanks for having me. So, you know, since we're at Babson, I, we can't avoid this question. So if you could tell us a little bit about your time at Babson and how it kind of shaped your journey. Sure. So, I mean, I think I mean, Babson definitely was a huge part of my journey. I look at it as if you were trying to be, you know, an Olympian, uh, the best, um, I don't know, shot putter or something. You would go to a place that uh, has the best training facilities and everything else. And so... As an entrepreneur, I look at Babson as a, it's like the entrepreneur, it's the entrepreneur's gym or or like that Mm -hmm. corollary of the place that you go to sort of get that training. Because I don't think it makes you like the same thing with an Olympian. I don't think you can make an Olympian out of anyone. I think it has to have the person who has that mindset, the, all the different things. I think an entrepreneur is the same. Like, I think there's something in you that makes you want to be an entrepreneur. Babson can help enhance that. Um, so I know I was doing some research on you and I know you had a couple of ventures when you were at Babson. So can you talk a little bit about those ventures and then also go on to tell me about like whether you always knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur and start your own thing or did that come as you started developing on your idea and you know you realized you had a real problem to solve? Yeah, not to sound old, mm-hmm. but you know, I graduated high school in 1995 and that's about, you know, so 1994, 1995 is when I was choosing like where to go to college you know back then entrepreneurs people knew what that was it was a term but it wasn't I'd say as mainstream as it is today so I think I grew up in New Jersey in a small sort of town and you know the dads around me or the the parents like what they did were you know they were finance people and uh, real estate and so I I think a lot of jobs and so I didn't really see entrepreneur I was I think I always was an entrepreneur I was always doing things and starting little businesses and trying to make money by Mm -hmm. doing like sort of so looking back I was an inventor and an entrepreneur Uh, I just didn't know what that was and I was lucky to find Babson and when I did like hear about this entrepreneur program like wow I want to like that just sounds fun like I want to do that and so it did it did kind of like suck me in Mm -hmm. but I I, I wasn't seeking it out uh, at the time for sure. And from your experience, what do you think students need to know that you kind of wish you had known earlier? Well, I think especially now I see it that entrepreneur now has become this sort of branded thing and people want to become an entrepreneur. And I think that's actually a bad thing. 
thing. You shouldn't、mm-hmm. want to become an entrepreneur. You should want to do something that changes the world. You should want to do something that's going to enhance people's lives. You should you should want to do something that's going to be for a reason. Right. And an entrepreneur is not the reason because it's so hard that you need to have that passion and you need to have that reason to continue at what you're doing. And I think a lot of times where entrepreneurs get hurt is that they're not doing something for the right reason. And then when it gets hard. You get out because you're not there for the right reason, and so that's I'd say that's the one thing is follow the thing that really is your passion. Don't just do something that sounds like it's a good way to make money. Because I will say, entrepreneurship overall is not a great way to make money.、Hmm. Make more money as a finance person, you know, on average.、Mm-hmm. Like I've done okay, but on average, entrepreneurship is not actually the best way to make money. No, I fully agree with that. And I was reading about like how President Spinelli initially didn't believe in your business、yeah. idea. Can you talk a little bit about this and how his perspective on you changed over time? So again, this is going back to what I said about entrepreneurship: is if you have something that you're passionate about, you'll continue to push it no matter what people tell you, no、right. matter what the market tells you. And a lot of times, these things aren't that clear. If you go back into a lot of the most successful businesses in the world today, they weren't super clear early on, like. That they were going to be that successful. If they were, everyone would have just invested in them back then.、Mm-hmm. And so Spinelli was great at pushing me to sort of that almost breaking point of where it's like, well, you know, Jamie, it's like if you can't stand up to this, then maybe you shouldn't be in it. And I think that's actually like Spinelli is amazing at doing that, which again brings out a real entrepreneur. And then when he saw that, I was saying to him, no, like I'm、mm-hmm. gonna keep doing this no matter what you say. Then he came, leaned in, and helped me. And so I think that was,、uh, I think that's part of like his. His sort of way of getting the best out of entrepreneurs, which he has done time and time again, and I'm so happy that he is the president now of Babson to be able to do that at, at even a bigger scale. It shouldn't be easy to build a business because it's it's not something that you should just be allowed to do. Right. You know, people work very hard in lots of different jobs, and it shouldn't be easy to just go out and build a business and be successful. It wouldn't be fair to the world if it was. Yes. And and it's not. And so I think, yeah, I think pushing and making sure that you're ready for that journey. To my metaphor of it being like the gym for an athlete,、mm-hmm. you know, at a gym, a coach doesn't say like, "Hey, yeah, don't worry, don't push yourself, don't worry about you know trying to run faster. It's okay, like run as、yeah. fast as you can run." No, they're like, if you don't get your mileage, whatever, you know, better by ten seconds, you're out, you're off the team. And so you you want to push your athletes if they're going to be the best. And I think. If you're gonna do this, if you're gonna come to Babson, like go to be the best. Don't go to just be like a, I don't know, a guy walking around the track. Right, I love that.、Um, let's switch gears a little bit. So,、um, something that I find really fascinating is that you like to call yourself a chief inventor、yeah. and not an entrepreneur or a CEO. So, what does this kind of mean to you? So, I think an inventor is a subset of entrepreneur.、Right. Entrepreneur to me is someone who it wants to build a business. And there are people, by the way, that. Are great entrepreneurs who go out and build great businesses, and that is their like sort of goal and their passion, and that's awesome. My goal and passion is more around inventing things that change people's lives, and that's where I realized that I was an inventor, not an entrepreneur. That that the business to me, it's the it's like the thing that I need to have in order for my invention to become big,、mm-hmm. but it's the it's the means to an end. It's not the thing I actually wanted to have. So. I didn't really care how big Ring got from a business side. I cared how much the product had an effect on our neighborhoods, and so now, obviously, by making a big effect on our neighborhoods, that makes a big company. But again, it just—it's it's a nuance. But I do think it is interesting when you—I think the most powerful people 
in building something, and so I'm trying to be like a little broad, are ones that find that true passion point, like like boil it down. And it takes a long time. And again, I think Babson is a place where it can help you to understand like what really drives you. And once you figure that out, you become, I, I believe, like a superpower. You're, you're just like, you're like an X-Men. Right. So whilst we're on the subject of Ring, can you tell me about how your passion for Ring came about? So I was in my garage. <laughs> I had done a bunch of little startups. I, I had my entrepreneurial midlife crisis where I, I, I get, I, I now talk about it, but I did, it took me a long, a long time to find my true, true passion. Right. And I did realize like at 35 that I wasn't a serial entrepreneur. I was an inventor. And I said, I'm going to go in my garage and now I'm just going to invent. Right. And some people thought I was getting a little crazy because I had like a semi-successful career doing some entrepreneurship. So mm -hmm. I would, did like a few businesses and I sold them for a little bit of money. So it wasn't like terrible, but I wasn't happy. So I go in my garage. I'm working on all of these things. President Spinelli invests in it. Uh, he probably shouldn't have because it was a bad idea. You know, it was just like this kind of thought, like mm -hmm. it's called Edison Jr. And I couldn't hear the doorbell. Oh. And so I thought, why wouldn't my doorbell go to my phone? Um, I keep missing the door. And so I literally built it as a side project on the weekends, not even in the lab, because I thought I shouldn't waste time, like work time on this toy for my house. Right. And, um, and then it was my wife who said, this makes me feel safer at home. And that's when I realized, like, this is actually way more powerful than just, you know, changing the doorbell to have something that goes to your phone. Every entrepreneur starts somewhere. Are you looking for your beginning? The Butler Launchpad at the Blank Center for Entrepreneurship is where you can find the events, workshops, mentoring, and community that you need to build your business. Join the Butler Launchpad now and start accessing resources. For more information, please visit babson.edu slash launchpad. As Ring got bigger, um, how did your role kind of change? So were you still, did you still feel as close to the product as you did initially? Or were you more involved in kind of like the organizational strategy of the company? So, I mean, it does get hard as an organization builds. It does, especially if it builds really fast, yeah. which we did. But again, to that superpower, it, knowing who I was gave me such great power because it allowed me to hire people that, people say hire people that are better than you. I think it's mm -hmm. also, it, that's, like that's the simple way of saying it. It's really hire people that do the things you're not good at. Right. So yes, they're better than you, but also find those areas where someone else is a superpower that's not yours. And running a business is not my superpower. Driving a business is though. Like I drive the business. Right. I just don't like day to day run it. I never have, I never will because I'm not good at that. And so as Ring grew, I certainly got pulled into stuff, but I did stay chief inventor as the title. Mm -hmm. Again, that was big because as your company grows and people see this is the chief inventor, they're not going to go to you with other problems. They're going to go to the operate the CEO or mm -hmm. because you're really saying it out there. Hey, this is what I do. And uh, so I did stay close to the product. Now um, with being part of Amazon, it really allows me to be close to the product because now I can just super mm -hmm. focus myself on stuff. Right. So do you think Amazon purchasing Ring was a win for you? Companies like this become like children. It's not just financial. Like I think you can't boil it down to those, especially for me. And so I look at like what was the win and the win is that right now for our customers, which is number one to us, which we call neighbors, mm -hmm. uh, we deliver better product, more selection, and more value today than we ever have before. And that's based on every metric. Okay. So that's a win for our neighbors, which that's the number one reason that we should do anything. The second one is team. You know, after your customers, I think it's your team mm -hmm. is why you're here. And my team has stayed together. They've had more opportunities. They've grown. They've flourished under sort of being part of a bigger organization that allows us to grow, which makes more opportunity. 
And then for me, which I think is really like, I'd say like third or fourth even, there's probably even another one in there. I try to put myself sort of a little bit back. It has allowed me to go back into what I love to do, which is I love to work on the product. I love to invent for our neighbors. I like to be out and, and spend my time customer focused and doing that and not on raising money and doing some of those things. And now I don't have to do that. So it really has allowed me to go back into the place where I think I am only using my superpowers. And I do think the company and the team and the customers are seeing sort of the benefit of that. So do you, would you say you're part, more part of the design team than you are like operations? Not the actual design team, but I'm more part of the driving of like what products and invention we should do. Okay. And then there's teams that obviously help take that and form it, but that I also can spend more time with those teams. Building a product is really hard yes. and, and it involves, it is a village. Uh -huh. Like it is, it is a lot of people involved. But I'm able to take all of the customer concepts and team concepts and really look at them and figure out, because when you're building product, it's three to five years sometimes is, is how long it takes to get. There's right. things that we're launching now that I started on over three years ago. So it's right. you've got to plan in the right direction. And if it's the wrong direction, you're in trouble. And so being able to think clearly and really feel where that market's going, that is, you know, that's, that's an important task for a company to lead it. So let's just sidetracking a little bit. Um, let's go to Shark Tank because yep. everyone's heard of the show and I was so fascinated by your journey on the show. I mean, who couldn't be, right? So can you talk about your journey on Shark Tank and like how exciting it was for you and especially starting off by being not being able to convince any of the sharks to invest in your um, idea to then being called as a, for a guest appearance on the same show a few years later. How was that for you? So, you know, Shark, I mean, Shark Tank was, again, if, if Babson was the training gym for the Olympics mm -hmm. and the Olympics is for amateur athletes, Shark Tank was the actual getting into the Olympics. So to me, it was, you know, it was as an amateur athlete, as an entrepreneur inventor, mm -hmm. the greatest thing I could ever do, like the, 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 the penultimate of my success could be to be on Shark Tank. And so being on Shark Tank as an entrepreneur was, to me, a massive goal that I achieved. Right. In every way. Mm -hmm. For the company, it ended up being the credibility and awareness that brought in early sales that helped jump us up to be able to reinvest to then sort of shoot out and gave us, uh, you know, the ability to have exit velocity. So super important from the company, super important for me. I think it's a great show overall. Mm -hmm. I, I, this goes into sort of a theme that I say where you shouldn't set goals that are achievable. Right. Because I think achievable goals become a ceiling, not a actual, like the sort of concept around a goal is it's something you can achieve. The problem is if you don't set it high enough, you might achieve less than what you can actually do. And so if, I, if my goal had been to get on Shark Tank, like I would have achieved and that's it. I mean, I'm the first entrepreneur in history to be on the show, build a business, mm -hmm. and then go back on as a shark. And so right. to me, it's a good example of, I couldn't have set the goal to say, like, it's this crazy to be, like, I'm going to go back on Shark Tank when I become yeah. super successful. And so being back on was amazing. I mean, it's, it's something that never has happened before and still has not happened again. Mm -hmm. So it is like, I don't, I don't even know, it's undescribable kind of amazing. And it does go to my thing of, like, you know, the goal at Ring is to reduce crime in neighborhoods. Right. It's an unachievable goal in a good way that like, you know, if we like it, it's, it'll drive us forever to, and, and it makes us think bigger and do things that I think other companies might have a ceiling when they try to, you know, when they actually hit them. Right. 
I know you rebranded Dobot to Ring, right? So did that happen after Shark Tank, and why did the rebranding happen? So you know, when we went on Shark Tank, we were three people in my garage mm-hmm. working on a product. Dorbot, you know, when you're in a garage, Dorbot sounded like a great sort of name. <laughs> We started selling it and we started getting returns and my email has always been on the list today on every box. Mm-hmm. And I would get an email from someone saying, I brought this thing home and I said to my spouse, I'm going to put a doorbot on the door. And they would say, you're not putting a doorbot on the door before they even looked at it. Like like the doorbot, like the name stopped. And so I realized, we realized very quickly that the front door of a house, the entryway to the house is a special area and how it looks, how it feels, how it's decorated is a special thing. And so a doorbot does not fit that theme. And so that's when we searched for like a name that we felt like could fit the product, but also could fit, you know, what it was. And you look at like, what what are the names of locks? Yale, Schlage, Baldwin. Like they're just nice things that you don't feel, you know, they're not doorbot, you know, like lockbot. Like it's like, and so, yeah, that was where kind of the ring thing came from. And we also, right after Shark Tank, realized that we had an alpha product. We had like an early product, Mm -hmm. but we needed, if we were going to really be serious, we needed to build something much bigger and much more serious. We used a lot of the money we made from selling and the awareness of Shark Tank, Mm -hmm. and that's what got us building this thing. So Ring became not just a rebranding, but like a new product and sort of really a new company that kind of spawned out of the concept around Doorbot. So obviously there was Shark Tank, there was Ring. Um, So I've heard that, you know, you had a lot of highs in your journey and lows as well. So how were you able to keep yourself motivated, particularly through the low points of your journey? I think people want to hear the answer that like I am some like super powerful person that doesn't get affected by this and I just keep going on. I didn't stay motivated. I was, you know, I'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning like in tears that I like was losing this business and it was super emotional and I wasn't okay with it and I didn't do well. Like I had lots of really bad times. What kept me going, and again, I think motivated and, and moving forward are two different things. Right. Motivated means like you're still, in my mind, like you're emotionally still okay. Keep going is I am not okay as a human being. Like I am like dying inside. But if I don't keep going, we're gonna really fail. Like I, like like failure is stopping. If you right. keep going, like you at least have a chance of not failing. And so I was able to, I'd say, push through to keep going. But emotionally, I was not. It was very tough. I think it's a good thing for other entrepreneurs to know that what you're feeling when these things happen is it's like okay. Like there's not. I've never met the super powerful person mm-hmm. that can just. Maybe there is someone out there, but. It's certainly not me. Right. Yeah, I think this will be really helpful to the entrepreneurs as well to make sure they can keep going in their journey. So what does a professional day in the life of Jamie Simonoff look like? <laughs> well, it's, I mean, by asking professional day, I, I think you've already started off on the wrong foot. Oh. Um, it's, it's interesting, like you read, you know, people want to read like, how does XYZ successful person start their day? You know, they have a coffee at 6 a.m. Yeah. They do this. And there's, again, there's, there's a million different ways to do something. I get up when I get up. Um, my son's now in school. He's 11 years old. So like now, like lately I get up at 7am cause I take him to school. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for that, I'd probably be up at like 830, maybe nine. And okay. then some mornings I'm up early. So I, I don't have any schedule on getting up. Really don't have any like sort of bedtime schedule mm-hmm. during the day. I try to sort of keep some free time between meetings. I, I, again, I think the highest value as a company gets bigger that a leader can do is think. And so doing like just work all day long and meetings, I don't think. I don't believe that that drives the company long term to value. It might be doing some short term things, mm-hmm. and you have to sort of balance that. But long term, we need you know 
in three years, if we're in the right place or the wrong place, that's going to make that that's where we're going to sort of be valuable for Amazon or not. So I do try to like keep enough of that. And then I travel a ton. Okay. And I love travel. I travel like when my son's off from school, I bring him with me. Uh, when my wife can come with us then and she comes like I love travel both for personal and business. I think that it opens up your mind that sitting on a plane you can do like it's just the focus of it. Like I just love all of it. I love meeting different people while you do it. So I think that travel is a big part of something that I also like to do. That's amazing. And I like that you don't have a set of rules <laughs> that you follow yeah. as most people do. So that's great. So what's next for you then? It's funny because it's I think it's like the obvious question what's next, but the reality is if you look from like, you know, and I was here 20 years ago, if I had looked forward and said like, where do I want Jamie Simonoff to be in 20 years? I couldn't have dreamed to be in a better place of I now have the job that I've always wanted. And I think money's a terrible motivator, mm -hmm. so I think that looking at money as your sort of your scoreboard is a terrible way to look at it. You need money to take care of your family, to do things mm -hmm. that are like, but I think it's a terrible motivator. And so I have a job now at Amazon, which is the greatest job for Jamie Siminoff ever built. Right. And so as long as they don't get rid of me, mm -hmm. I should stay there forever and keep doing this because I can now affect people at a scale that I could never do outside of Amazon. Mm -hmm. And I've, you know, and, and I'm able to do it with a mission behind me that, that does better for the world. And so, yeah, I think there's nothing next for me. I'm going to just stay with my head down, focused and keep building and doing what I'm doing. Okay, that's great. And we wish you all the best for that. Um, on that note, I think we will end. Um, so thank you so much for your time. It was super cool talking to you. Um, I know we're so fortunate that uh, we have alums like you that the Babson community can look up to. And I'm sure this is a really motivational podcast for everyone listening to it. So thank you so much for sharing your journey and your story. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Baps and Build. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate and review us since that really helps others discover the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Babs and Eship and on Facebook as Babs and Entrepreneurs. We're grateful to the Babs and College student and alumni founders who participate in this podcast. These are their stories. Join us again for more Babs and Builds.